Well, in early in 1992, an Australian-born art critic, writer, and maker of television documentaries gave a couple of lectures under the auspices of Oxford University Press and then also gave these lectures at the New York Public Library. He's an outsider. He was looking in at our American culture, and he actually said much of it still seems highly exotic to me. But as an outsider, his little talks hit a nerve. Some publishers then came up and approached him and said, would you make these little lectures into a book? So Robert Studley Forrest Hughes. Now, you've got to like the name. First of all, any name with two middle names is a pretty cool thing. But just imagine... Hi, I'm Kevin Studley Meyer. I mean, I, who gets those kind of middle names? Anyway, Hughes, who passed away this last August in 1992, wrote a book called Culture of Complaint, The Fraying of America. The book became a New York Times bestseller and captured the attention of an entire nation. Looking from the outside in, Hughes writes that America today conjures up images of Rome in the final stages of cultural and political decay. As ambition and ingenuity are left behind, what remains is a sickly culture of complaint. A culture that overdoses on victimization, self-pity, polarization, and politicization. And in his introduction, the rather studly Hughes writes, I hope the reader will not misconstrue this as being anti-Americanism, or as an unearned condescension of a foreigner. Next to Australia, America is the place I know and love best. But Hughes, as he approached the later years of his life, was merely pointing out something he was seeing. He was seeing a culture of complaint And he began to ask the question, have we become a bunch of complainers, unhappy, whiny, grateful, and spoiled people? Which I think is a good question. But, you know, from a lighter and less philosophical approach, Louis C.K., in a little comedic commentary which hit YouTube with no less fanfare, one night on Conan O'Brien, Louis C.K. pointed out this same epidemic. This culture of complaining, but from a more humorous angle. C.K. turned to Conan at one point and he said, you know, this world is crazy. We live in a time in history with with greater advantages through technology, and yet hardly anyone's happy. Everything is so amazing, and nobody's happy. He says, I was sitting on the plane the other day, and this guy next to me, he's really ticked off. The internet isn't working as you're sitting in the sky and he's trying to get it going and he, he goes, can't believe this. This piece of junk. And CK thinks, like, how quickly the world owes him something that only existed 10 seconds ago. As he was talking and continued to talk to his host, Conan O'Brien, looking at the people, he said, just think about airplanes for a second. Flying is the worst. People will tell you their stories, their horror stories when they come back from a flight. They'll tell you, you know, first of all, I got to the plane and we had to wait 40 minutes at the gate for the flight to come in from another place. And then we get on the plane and we have to wait another 20 minutes on the tarmac while they de-ice the wings. 
And then as we're flying there, we get there and we wait another 30 minutes as we circle overhead wanting to land. I mean, it was horrible. And he's thinking, think about it. Just think about it for a second. Just how amazing it is that you're flying, period. You just participated in the modern miracle of flight. Imagine telling your great-great-grandparents who were only used to horse and buggy that you were actually in the air. And they're going, I mean, you, you flew like a bird? I mean, you were actually in a two-ton contraption, 40,000 feet over the earth, going 500 miles an hour? you got to be kidding. Nah, it can't happen. And so he blurts out at that point, as the, the, the audience are just with him, he goes... On every plane, every day, people, as they fly, they should be going, Oh my word, I'm flying! I'm actually doing what birds do! This is amazing! Think about it! You're sitting in a chair in the sky! And yet we complain that my seat doesn't go back enough. This guy went hog the little armrest next to me. It takes about five hours to fly from New York to L.A. And only a little over 100 years ago, it took a wagon train journeying 12 miles per day and an average of 3.5 miles per day, somewhere between five to ten years. As they would make stops and have to reload and do everything. People would die along the way. Babies would be born. By the time you got there, you had a whole new group of people with you than when you left. And today it's a movie, a Coke and peanuts, trip to the bathroom, and you're there. (laughs) And C.K. concludes, We live in this amazing, amazing world, and it's wasted on the most spoiled, ungrateful, unhappy generation, in his words, of idiots this earth has produced. Ouch. I'll leave a mark, right? should leave a mark because I'm one of those idiots that complains who can kind of go man I wish this cell phone was faster as the signal's going from the satellite back down and and I can take things so quickly for granted and I so quickly lose my joy and become unhappy as the next guy and we can come out of here and feel grateful for a moment And then the guy who is sitting next to you, you didn't know in the parking lot, doesn't go out fast enough and you've lost your joy. It has to be hitting a nerve. You know that little YouTube of C.K. Lewis had some 7 million hits right in the beginning? So what I'm going to ask us to do as we take this month of December and we've talked about joy, which should be an easy time to do it because we should be joyful. Lots of good things going on around us Christmas, right? I'm going to ask us to swim upstream in a culture that's floating downstream in a morass of ungrateful, unhappy complainers. And I'm going to ask us to do this for a month. And I'm going to ask us to do this then for a year. That we would begin to become that kind of church. That we'd make a commitment together to increase our joy for the sake of the gospel. 
For the sake of people around you at work, for the sake of people when you go through an aisle and check out, for the sake of the person who, as you are talking to um, someone maybe at a gas station attendant or wherever it may be, as you're in the shopping mall, they will see and experience joy. I've been thinking about it. Let's trend up while others are trending down, right? Let's be joyful and then and, and begin to be people that's a part of who we are, wherever we are, no matter what we're experiencing. Whatever we may be facing. What's really interesting about this is I have been prodded to do this series on joy, not out of my own prayer and quiet time. Like often I will come across that and I'll kind of share that with the elders. This is what I feel led to do. But this was prodded by them as elders. We did a bunch of inventories on, uh, to try and f- understand where we're at as a church. And one of them was just a spiritual fruit kind of inventory. And we went through it and we, we got done. And all the elders, most all of them, as we compiled it, we found that we felt our greatest lack was from, from joy, that we could increase the joy out of all those fruits of the Spirit. And I thought that was kind of cool until then we also did the same thing with a staff at a staff retreat. We gave them the same kind of test. They did the same thing. And you know what they felt as well? It came up the same thing. If we could in our church, they felt joy was the one area they could increase. And so as a result of that, we kind of sense the Lord is saying to us, we're in a prime spot as God has been giving us a spirit of unity to ask him to give us a spirit of joy. And I want to tell you this. It's there. It's ours by faith to activate. And so my prayer is that through this series of messages, it's not so much that I'm going to do some deep exegesis and teaching. You can get that in adult classes. We have great adult classes. I encourage you to go to one. But today, what I would really hope in the next few weeks is that I will give you something practical that you can take out of here and you can actually do it through the week and it will increase your joy. And so I'm going to ask us to make a, a commitment to eradicate complaining, murmuring, grumbling, in that unhappy spirit. So here's the big truth. Increase your joy by increasing your thanks. That's that's bottom line. Increase your joy by increasing your thanks. Joy is directly tied to thanks. Joyful people are grateful people. In fact, I've come to believe in my own growth in this, that they're siblings. If you find one, you find the other. If you find someone who's thankful, you'll find someone who's also really joyful. So if you want to become more joyful, we're going to talk about this practical step of becoming thankful. And this morning, I want to share with you a few things that help you with gratitude and then ask you to do one thing. And I'm going to do that every week. I'm going to ask you to share some things and then we're going to do one thing that if you apply in your life over a week, over a month, I think can increase your joy. So grow in gratitude and I believe you'll grow in joy. First is this. Gratitude has to be God-centered. So let's look at gratitude and what it means to be thankful first. If you look at the characters of Christmas, they are each one of them great reminders of how joy is mixed with thanksgiving. They are filled with joy, if you look at their lives, not because of what they have and how much they've been given, but they are filled with joy because they experience a God who loves them. In fact, if you read through the accounts, you'll see that. In fact, Mary herself at one point says, My soul praises the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. It's a, it's a, it's a song of thanksgiving that she wrote. 
And if you look at Mary and Joseph, the wise men, the shepherds, Simeon and Anna, and all the, all those who surround the Christmas story, you'll find they're thankful people. The birth of Jesus meant for them that God has kept his promise. You can go back to Genesis. They'll see the promise there. You can see it in Moses and Deuteronomy. The promise of, of Jesus being born and coming is there. You can go to David and see it there. You can go to Isaiah, to Ezekiel, to Jeremiah. And you can go through Micah and all the way through Malachi. Everywhere you see it. And what you find is they are filled with thanksgiving at this birth. They waited a long time and they knew it. Some of you know what that experience is when you are waiting just nine months. And you're filled with joy when the baby comes. Why? You're so thankful that this baby is good and healthy. And you're grateful for this life. And it brings a sense of joy. And they're so thankful because they see that, that God has kept His promise and He did what He said He would do. And the birth of Jesus meant that He cared about you. He he made it clear that he reached down. You see it through all the pages of Scripture. But in these characters around this story, he comes to the lowliest, the poor, the unknown, the nobodies. He grabs this little couple in a hick town called Nazareth. He brings them to the little town just outside of the capital of Jerusalem, Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. And there he brings to them some pagan professors who bring them gifts. And then at that crucial moment of the birth, there's this angelic choir announces it not to the kings and to the Pharisees and to all those you would expect it, but to some shepherds who are out in the field doing an, a late night shift job. And the birth of Jesus meant that was God is in control. He's the king of the universe. He has no fear of a financial cliff. He is not one bit taken by surprise by anything in this world and in your life. Christmas is filled with joy because people are filled with thanksgiving for the God who is central in their life. G.K. Chesterton said, The heart of gratitude is anchored in trust that there is actually someone to thank. It's rooted in a God and what He's done. And every day, every day, you have someone you can be thankful for who will never abandon you or leave you. Christmas is that message a year in and year out. I have entered in. I have come into your world. I am in your life. I am with you whether you feel me or not. You have someone who loves you. Someone who truly is good and cares about you, me, a nobody. And so in, in James chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, James says, don't be deceived. Because it's really easy to be deceived in this world. It's really easy to take lies. Most of the Christian life is about saying, is this a lie or is this the truth? I will believe the truth. That's why we're given the word of God. We get, are given the word of God not to worship it and in some sense make it one part of the Trinity, but to only say, God, here's truth in here. And when your word, the big W word comes into my heart, it tells me it's true. And that's what I live with. So don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So don't for a second think you are in any way responsible for the gifts you're enjoying right now. But there is someone you can always give thanks to. Gratitude is always God-centered. The other thing about gratitude that I want you to think about and kind of keep in mind is that gratitude looks at what you have. You can have joy because there is always 
something to be thankful for. There's someone, but you can have joy because there is always something to be thankful for. One really quick um, route to complaining and grumbling and murmuring is this route in this pathway of looking at what you wish you had, what you wanted someone to give you, what you feel you deserve, what you feel is your right. And you can move into that place and immediately you become unhappy and you lose your joy because you just are looking at what you your focus is totally on what you don't have. And one of the great things about joy is it comes through Thanksgiving and gratitude is about wanting what you have and celebrating what you have. Being grateful for that. You can have joy because there is always something to be thankful for. In this, un, this, this unhappy, whiny culture we live in right now, this spirit is contagious. It's infectious. It's all around you. Think about it. We're, we're, we're complaining as a culture right now, five years later, after this incredible economic downturn, when you really think about it, the whole economic upside was on a bubble. We live in so much illusion. And we don't even focus on what we really have. Speaker and author John Orberg says this, Sometimes we need to look at our lives and say just four words. It could be worse. Now, you're laughing at this, but I'm asking you to do something with this morning. It's a little audience participation, okay? I want you to join me. And I want you to say it. It could be worse. Say it with me. It could. Oh, okay, no, it's not very good. <clears throat> it's not going to work. I want you to fully engage and say it passionately. There we go. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to just to join me in this. Because what's going to happen is you're going to walk out of here, and you're going to get the key, and you're going to try and put it in your car, and you're going to look at the car next to you. And you'll be tempted to think, if I only had that car. But practicing a thankful spirit for what you have, you will look at your car and say these four little words. Great. And when you get home and you pull into your driveway and you you look at your house and you're going to be tempted to think, if I only had a bigger, nicer, newer house. But you will look at your house and you will say these four little words. Okay, great. And in the morning when you take a shower and you step out and you look at the mirror. You'll be tempted to think. If only I had a different body, if I were younger, if I were slimmer, if I were trimmer, if I'm more muscular. But no. Next time you look in the mirror, you're going to say. And when you go to bed at night. And you wake up the next morning and you roll over. And you look at your spouse. No. <laughs> That's a bad idea. You don't want to do that. We lose our joy because we're always looking at what we don't have. Joy is in someone and it's in, it, you always have something to give thanks for. And gratitude is also encompassing. All-encompassing. It is easy for anyone to be thankful when times are good and things are going your way. 
But there isn't an option in this. God's word doesn't give us an option to be thankful during the good times only. That's the easy part. The people who really show up as being people who know God and people who live by the truth of what he says are the kind of people that in those tough times, in those difficult times, they show up and they say to God, no matter what, blessed be the name of God. I give you thanks in someone for the some things that I have that you have given me and I will give you thanks in every day. Amen. And that's what he calls us to. He calls us to that kind of life. Gratitude is this kind of attitude that knows no seasons. You will be different from the world if your heart is filled with thankfulness and thankfulness allows for you to step into this great fruit of the spirit joy. It says in first Thessalonians chapter five, be joyful, always pray continually and give thanks in everything for this is God's wish. No, for this is God's will. It's his command that we are called to do. And I have to share with you as a person for so many years, I haven't taken responsibility for my life in this area, knowing that I can choose to move into joy. And I might be speaking to some of you in your own lives right now. You may need to fess up and part of repentance is is beginning to confess what's real and say, God, at this point in this time in the history of this church, we as a church, I as an individual am going to put a stake in the ground that says I will not complain. I will not murmur. I will not live an unhappy life. I will live this life filled with joy. And the way you will get there is through Thanksgiving. It's one of the routes that God gives us. In fact, in preparing this message, I was praying about this and I noticed the structure in Philippians chapter four. Do you know, Philippians chapter four is kind of interesting. You get into that passage of scripture and Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. That's the place we rejoice always. And then he says, I will say it again. And he gives it it's a command. Rejoice. And then as you go on, Paul then encourages them to pray. Just like that other one where he says, be joyful, always pray continually. He says, now pray. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And you know he, how he ends it? He ends it by saying, in all situations, I found contentment. I have come to a place where I can be thankful. Whatever the circumstances, whatever the need, whether in plenty, whether well-fed or hungry, and in every, in any situation, I have learned the secret of being content or thankful. There's the same pattern. Thankfulness is not just an activity, folks. It is something that we practice, and when we practice it, it becomes a character, a part of our lives. And when our character becomes more thankful, we become more like God. And when we become more like God, the presence of God enters into our life. And one of the things about God that enters into our life is joy. I'm not talking about happiness. We'll talk about this next week. But joy. And so gratitude, I just want to say this again, releases. It releases joy. You can choose to be thankful. And I want to say that clearly. You can choose to be thankful. My wife is probably one of the most positive people. And I am so grateful for my wife, Grace, the joy she has and the way that God has. Let me tell you, the person in your life, if you have a spouse, God knows exactly what you need. It's usually the opposite of what you are. And they can help pull you that way if you don't allow it to become something negative. And Grace would often say to me, Kevin, you know, it's joy. It's just a choice. Just choose joy. Choose joy. Well, I have to share with you, that's not easy to do. So through grace, and I'll confess to you right now, it's not easy to do. But you know what is? And if I choose to be happy, you know what is? Choosing to be thankful. 
Think about it a second. Choosing to be thankful is really something pretty easy to do. See, what's confusing about joy is it kind of, if you don't, if you're not having much experience with that or you don't understand fully the difference, you have a hard time understanding how do you choose joy. But if you choose, anybody can choose thankfulness. And thankfulness releases joy. I found that in my own life. You know, one of my desires in this whole series here, in this, in this specifically today, is that I didn't want this series to be merely some more knowledge you could put in your file of your brain, nor did I want it to be something that's kind of entertaining and, boy, that was kind of nice to be in church today, wasn't it? I really want this to be something that God uses in your life to change your life. So when you walk out of here, you say, I'll be a more joyful person. You will be a more joyful church. We'll actually apply this on a regular basis. Jean-Pierre Cassad, who is a French Jesuit priest, a writer known for a work called The Abandonment to Divine Providence. He lived in the 1700s and he said this, When one is thirsty, one quenches one's thirst by drinking, not by reading books by which treat of this condition. In other words, if you're thirsty, you don't quench your thirst by reading about books about water or listening to lectures about the benefits of water. You just get a water and you drink it. There's another writer back in the same time, Erasmus, in the 1500s, this intellectual light around the time of Martin Luther said this, a nail is driven out by another nail. Habit is overcome by habit. And so in order to drive out the nail of complaint in our culture, in our lives, we have to drive in an attitude of gratitude. We have to begin to drive in the nail of thanksgiving. And let me share with you how you can do this. It's something that God began to do in my life a few years back. And, he, and I just decided in my quiet times that I would start to list just three things I was thankful for. And I'd list it, and then I would go ahead and begin to write a little bit about it. And I noticed that I did that over a month. My mood shifted in the middle of writing often Thanksgiving. It is really that simple. But it's a habit. It's not somebody, well, that was a good talk. I really, yeah, that Thanksgiving thing is a good thing. No, if you are going to change it, if we are going to change it, it really means that you start begin to, whether you want to write it down on a piece of paper, but I encourage you to do it, or make a mental list and you go, I am thanking you, Jesus, which is centering it. This is what I would do. Say, thank you, Jesus. It centers it in someone for the some things you actually have that you're grateful for. And you do it every day because it's in and out of season whether it's in good or bad times. And you do that for 30 days, and you do that for 60 days, and you do that for 90 days, and you do that 120, and i got to get into my math. Anyway, um, you do that for a year, and you will begin to experience joy. You will know joy. Now, here's the best part. Don't you love it when you choose to do something, and as you begin to do it, you start experiencing their benefits? When I started to choose to do this a couple of years back, and I began to experience its benefits, and then not long ago, someone sent me this little article. And it's what I love about this. When you choose to do it, you start to experience its benefits, and then somehow God comes along and he confirms it from the outside. And this person sent me an article. It was written in November. Thankfulness is linked to positive changes in the brain and body. And the article begins, grateful, question mark? Write it down. Think about it. Talk about it. Thankfulness, those positive vibrations will begin to go to those around you and it will also go within you and benefit your health. For those who tend to be more grinchish than grateful, 
there's some hard evidence that might make you want to turn that frown upside down. A positive outlook and feelings of thankfulness can have a direct and beneficial effect on the brain and body. This is what Dr. I can't say his last name, Dorsalani, head of the Division of Biologic Psychology at Duke University Medical Center says. If thankfulness were a drug, it would be the world's best-selling product with a health maintenance indication for every major organ system. How many of you take pills in the morning? Come on, raise your hand. How many do so religiously? As good as a pill, this says. Studies have shown measurable effects on multiple body and brain systems. Those include mood neurotransmitters such as I know I say serotonin. I'm not going to say the rest. Of Reproductive hormones, social bonding hormones, cognitive and pleasure-related neurotransmitters, inflammatory and immune systems, stress hormones, cardiac and EEG rhythms, blood pressure and blood sugar. By writing down, thinking about, and talking about things that you're thankful for, it actually produces health. And you know what? I believe the opposite is. When you move to grumbling and complaining and murmuring, all those things are anxiety-producing things, and we all know what that does to our body. So what we're going to do here is begin our list this morning with something very practical. We're going to give thanks for the greatest gift that has been given to us. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ in communion, which is called the Eucharist, which means thanksgiving. We give thanks for a God who took an interest in us, walked on this earth, gave his life, died on a cross in order that you and I can have a relationship with him who accepts you right where you're at today. In the midst of your shame, in the midst of guilt, whatever you might be facing, however you come to him, he says, come to me. If you will in faith trust that I love you, that I'm committed to you, that's the first thing you can write on your list today. And we're going to do that together as a church. I'm going to ask those who are serving to come forward as we begin this first little step into joy by giving thanks for this meal.